0: in him as a father in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Sad us now? There we go. Um, thank you, I think it's speaking on behalf of everyone, just want to honour Phil, just for what he carries in this house, um, as father over this place, and it'd be good just to honour him today, on Father's Day, when we we'll give him a round of applause, can we? And <clears throat> blessed, blessed to be part of this family and the journey together. And um, today we are just continuing on this series, we've been on this a shorter series on the greatest story i think this was obviously was a film wasn't it at one stage the greatest story ever told i'm obviously so young that i just don't remember but uh this this uh, film this book whatever it was the greatest story ever told but we want to reflect on this the essence and nature of why we want to do this was because we wanted to speak on the simplicity but also the significance of the gospel message and um and so th- this this is where we've been over the last number of weeks we've looked at the power of the gospel the unshakable confidence that we have we're like phil last week I looked at what you can expect and this week he's given me the title of highways and byways which we are, are going to go into uh, this morning the last time we were here um i i looked at um, a parable which jesus taught in matthew's gospel chapter 22. there's another story it's not the same context but jesus presses into a lot of the same issues in luke chapter 14. and so today we're going to do we're going to mainly be reading in luke chapter 14 if you have bibles with you either on your phone or a hard copy be great to take them out uh, and follow along as we go through this um and as we do uh, the main thing that i really want us to be pressing into and to really be focusing ourselves on and to catch today is that what jesus teaches is that there's something significant about an invitation there's an invitation that's mentioned in both of these stories there's an invitation that want us to focus on and in Luke chapter 14 where this starts off Jesus has been invited doesn't that sound nice he has been invited to a dinner party Luke chapter 14 tells us that he's been invited to a dinner party of a Pharisee and this is this is what it starts off saying I keep forgetting to start my timer this says this one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee so this guy's a bit of a bigwig, prominent Pharisee he was being carefully watched Imagine what that must have felt like, knowing that every eye was upon you, not necessarily all in a good way, but these guys were here, there was probably an agenda, there was probably a motive, they were there to try and scrutinize Jesus, the fact that this was on the Sabbath, they were hoping that he could do something wrong, say something wrong, look a different way that he should have done, something that would have meant that they could have had an accusation to make against him on this day, they wanted to try and and catch him out. And so Jesus, what we see in this is just, he's so graceful. And in this moment, this is the context of Luke chapter 14, where we're really going to be looking today. But Jesus uses this as an amazing opportunity. I know if that was me with the weight of the expectation of that. I would be so frustrated. You probably threw the head up. You want to get out of there as quickly as you could, but not Jesus. He uses this as, as an amazing moment to be able to teach truth and to speak truth to these guys, but also to... To everyone who obviously is reading on in the account of it, and the people probably in the moments when the stories were retold, the truth that was being shared in this. And so this is where we're going to be today. This is the context. Jesus is at a dinner party. Before we do, I just wanted to jump back. Last time I was here, we taught on Matthew's Gospel chapter 22, and in Matthew's Gospel chapter 22, Jesus tells a story about a wedding. And we prayed this morning for Robbie and Tara. They've got their wedding this this Thursday. And Jesus uh, taught a story, a parable um, about a wedding. And in this, he talks about how there was invitations that were sent out for the wedding. People were invited to come. Many people refused and said they didn't want to come. And so invitations were sent to other people. Invitations went out far and wide because the heart of the host of the wedding was that he wanted the wedding banquet, the wedding celebration to be full. He wanted people to come in and to celebrate this moment with him. And the main teaching that we pulled out that time was the, was the focus on the wedding garment. I just wanted just to reflect just for another couple of minutes now this morning before we press into Luke chapter 14. And in the wedding garment, this was the bit that took center stage. This is what we read from verse 11 to 14 in Matthew 22. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless then the king told the attendants tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen the invitation may given out but the cultural understanding which we explained that last week was simply this that when people came to the weddings in jesus day lots of the cultural commentators would say that when people came, the, the host would have provided wedding garments for people to wear. That was, that was a bit of a hard task as well. Imagine having to pay for all the meals and things. But there was a wedding garment, and as people arrived, they would have taken, the servants would have given them a garment, they would have received it, and they would have put this on. And when we, when we reflected on that last time, we were saying that this ultimately was what distinguished people and gave them the right to be there in the celebration. The fact that they were dressed in this wedding garment it had nothing to do about what they did it had nothing to do about their moral state or the condition of themselves but it was more to do significantly the one and only thing that allowed them and qualified them to be there in that wedding was what they were dressed in and this is where i reflected the last time this was a prophecy that was spoken about what we celebrate as our faith by isaiah isaiah said this i delight greatly in the lord my soul rejoices in my god for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest. And as a bride adorns herself with, with jewels, I've brought a couple of a couple of bits of garments with me. When I got up to the front, Laura said, this place is a mess. What on earth are you doing? I had these lying on the seat. This is a bit of a window into what it's like at home as well. Um, Laura handed these to me. But this, this is a, a hoodie that... Is a really old one, and yet I wear it nearly every single day, right? And if some of the guys in Grove might see me wear this hoodie as well. This hoodie's got, it's probably stinking, it's tatty, but it's comfortable, right? Anyone else got clothes like that? You know, you just seem to wear it all the time. Probably when you're going to bed, you throw it on the floor, and then you pick it up and put it on again the next morning or something like that. And yet Jesus tells this story. And, uh, and in this story, what I wanted, because I feel that it's almost, it's something quite prophetic in it as well. Sometimes we just love to do the things that we're comfortable with. (laughs) Even today when we come towards the end, there's certain things and there's certain ways which we're just comfortable with, we're so familiar with. And yet Jesus tells this story that in this parable about this wedding, he, he brings out this point about the significance of the wedding garments. You see, Isaiah also tells another prophetic word about this, and this is what it says three chapters later in Isaiah 64. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we delay our righteous, or display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. (laughs) Well, Lord, I hope this is washed, so it's not too filthy. But like autumn leaves, we we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. There's something significant about the reality of this is that we are all marked with this stain of sin. What almost appears like even in our best efforts and the best efforts of our righteous deeds, they almost appear like filthy rags. And when it comes to the idea of salvation and what it means to be saved, for anyone in the room today who's never accepted Jesus, this is ultimately the message of the gospel. We are all born with this stain of sin. It's got nothing to do about someone being better than someone else. And yet the truth of this, and this is the beauty of the gospel, is that when we acknowledge our standing before God and we acknowledge our sin and we recognize that we need something done about this mark of sin that is upon us all, when we, when we repent of it and we ask Jesus, this is what Jesus dealt with on the cross. This is what we celebrated this morning in communion. This is what allowed us to step into relationship with God because the moment that we believed, this, these filthy rags... And the next time you see me wearing this, you're going to be saying there's that filthy rag that he's wearing again. These filthy rags, this mark of sin that is upon us, Jesus took this and paid the price for it once and for all. And in this moment, as he dealt with it, what the Bible tells us, and this is what that prophecy in Isaiah 61 tells us, is that it's not just about that our sin is removed, but it's that we are now given a new garment this idea of the wedding garment that was so important for the guests as they came to the wedding but it says he will wrap me in garments of salvation he will dress me in robes of righteousness and this is the truth of who we are when it comes to this this is what it means to be saved this is what it means to be a christian it's about what we are dressed in this is why the bible says we find ourselves in christ now this jumper's a wee bit neater so i can't get it zipped the whole way across but you bear with me we find ourselves hidden in Christ, dressed in his righteousness. This has got nothing to do of our own works or our own ability or our own standing. This is simply where we accept his gift and his salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is why the invitation And this morning, again, if you've never heard and you've never received it, this is the invitation that has been from, the, from this time of Jesus. And it's the same invitation that we still need to proclaim even today. You must be born again. You must be born again. It's this. And the condition of who we are, even in our best efforts, it's this, the mark of sin that needs removed from us, but yet in this is that we are washed afresh, and it's his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is now upon us. This is what allows us to be sons and daughters, not because of anything we do or can add to this, but simply because of his righteousness alone. This is why Jesus would then say in John's gospel, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is the only way. This is the simplicity of the gospel. This is the message that we have to share. It's got nothing to do with us. There's nothing that we can be pretentious about in any way. This was all to do with the beautiful gift and grace of God, and this is the message of the good news of the gospel that we have to be able to share. And we would love, before we go on just to look at the rest of Luke chapter 14, if you've never accepted Jesus and his righteousness, we would love to pray for you today. We would love to journey this with you. We would love that this could be a moment when actually you could accept this invitation and this gift of righteousness for the first time into your life. This is nothing that you need to strive for. It's a free gift you just accept. It seems like it's too good to be true, and yet this is the beauty of the gift of the gospel. This is the message we proclaim. And yet as we go on in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, remember this, 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 is, this is because of this and because of Jesus, this is the reason why we're here today. This is the reason why we're part of the family of God, all because of what Jesus has done. As this message goes on in Luke chapter 14, this is what we read, so follow with me. Luke chapter 14, verse 12, it goes on to say this. When you give a luncheon, so remember the context, Jesus has been invited to a dinner party by a Pharisee, right? And so what does Jesus use this as an opportunity to start talking about? He says, so when you give a luncheon or a dinner party, guys, here's some things that you need to learn. Remember, this room would be full of some of the Pharisees' friends, probably other teachers of the law, people that only he would feel comfortable with or would want to hang out with. They're all there scrutinizing Jesus. And so Jesus says this, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of, of the righteous. In each of the stories, one of the things which we're gonna be looking at today, it's a significant part of it, there's there's a there's a host. The story we looked at last time in the host of the wedding, and even in this, where Jesus is talking about when you have a dinner party, there's a host that's given an invitation. The reality is, is that the host's desire is that anybody Everybody is welcome to be able to come. We see this in the nature of the story, but yet there's another character in the story which today I want us to focus on because I feel that it is reflective of us and there's something for us to learn in this. And this, here we go, there's a message for one of the parents to come to for you. Um, in this, what we see is that the other character which we see is around the character of the servant. And in this, what we see is that again, the host's desire is that for each and every person, this is about to go live again. What do you say this word as it comes up? Hopefully, pray with me. Is it working, guys? It doesn't matter. There it is, right? So servants, right? This, this is the character in the story that suddenly becomes a key part in this. The host's desire is that everyone will come. This is what we see in the book of Peter. Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of some kind slowness is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance imagine that the heart of the fathers that none would perish (laughs) that everybody would be able to come to the part of repentance i don't know what your thoughts are on god and your views are on god and your belief in god but god is a god of love god is a god who desires to be in relationship with his creation God is a God who has gone to great lengths to be able to be in relationship with you. He is a God who loves you and delights in you and desires to be in relationship. His desire is that none would perish, but that each will be led to repentance. His message and his heart is clear. But with this, what we can say, right, well, that's a message in the heart of the host. What we see with the servant is that there's something about this message that needs communicated, it needs shared. We see it clearly, the host's really clear about what he wants, but there's a significant role of the servants that needs displayed in these ways. So follow with me from verse 15 through to, the, to verse 24, and you'll see it on the screens. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant, to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them, please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house, Became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste. Of the banquet. Again, the concept of the servants becomes center stage here. You could see the word servant underlined there in each of the verses. Without the servant, the invitation doesn't get communicated to those that need to hear it. We say that again without the servant, the invitation doesn't get communicated to those that actually need to hear it. The invitation firstly needs given. You see, while the heart of the invitation of the King has not changed, I don't know about you, but one of the things which is just so clear, and I recognize this in my own life, while the the heart of the message has not changed or diminished in any way, one of the things that can so easily happen is that the heart of the servants and how we share the invitation can often be lacking. We sometimes fail to recognize the urgency and the need to actually be able to tell people about Jesus. The message hasn't changed, but yet something about the heart of the servants. I wanna just read just a little um, section from this. This is a book I've been reading over the last while. Some of you might have read it, The Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. And uh, and in this, he's just, he's trying to address actually what the church is actually meant to be about. And in this, I've got one of the quotes on the screen. He starts to press home about the idea of this, you know, how often we can totally miss what it means to be part of this, (laughs) what it means to be part of the church of Jesus. He says this, we live in a time When people go to a building on a Sunday morning, attend an hour-long service, and call themselves members of the church, just like we're doing this morning, does that sound shocking to you? Of course not. This is perfectly normal. It's what we grew up with. We all know good Christians go to church, don't we? But have you ever read the New Testament? Do you find anything in Scripture that is even remotely close to the pattern we have created? Do you find anyone who ever just went to church? Try to imagine Paul and Peter speaking like we do today. And he goes on to give this conversation. So this is, this is all pretend, right? So this is Paul. Hey, Peter, where do you go to church now? Oh, I, I go to the river. They have great music and I love the kids program. Cool. Can I check out your church next Sunday? I'm not really getting anything out of my own. Totally. Oh, actually, wait, I'm not going to be there next Sunday because little Matthew has soccer. How about the week after? Sounds good. Hey, by the way, do they have a singles group? (laughs) It's comical to think of Paul and Peter speaking like this. Yes, that, yet that is a normal conversation among Christians today. Why? (laughs) There are so many things wrong with the above conversation that I don't even know where to start. The fact that we have reduced the sacred mystery of the church to a one-hour service we attend is staggering. He goes on to say this. You see this on your screen. The church doesn't have to remain a group of needy people complaining that they haven't been fed well enough. It really can become a group of servants who thrive in serving. Let's read that again. The church doesn't have to remain a group of needy people complaining that they haven't been fed well enough. It really can become a group of servants who thrive in serving. In the passage in Luke 14, what we see is that when Jesus presses into the heart of the issue, the Pharisee almost comes out with this phrase, right? It's clear that in his head he had an understanding of something, but he had totally lost sight of the heart of what it was all about. As Jesus, what we see in the, in the, op- in the verses that I opened up with, he starts to press him and he says, you should be inviting the lame and the poor and the sick. And what the Pharisee turns around, and his response to this, he says something, because I'm certain that as Jesus says this, the Pharisee who did all the inviting is probably looking around and seeing that all his friends are starting to get really uncomfortable. <laughs> Jesus is pressing home something about them that is, was wrong, <laughs> In the very nature and essence of what they believed. And I'm sure as this Pharisee looked around, he started to see his mates starting to get really uncomfortable. So, what he did was work. I'd imagine, and I'm saying you were right, but I imagine if you were one of his mates, when this Pharisee said it, you would have been a yes, an amen to right? Because his friends, this guy was probably starting to say something that made his friends be like, oh, yeah, well, we agree with that. We can get that. The Pharisee began to say these words. After Jesus has started to say about everyone that should come in, he says these really religious words. He says, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. (laughs) Blessed is the one who will eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. And he's not wrong. (laughs) Of course, once you get to sit and enjoy the feast of the kingdom of God, of course they're blessed. But he was always coming out with this religious garbage and sentence. It was just like, because this was the right thing to say and it was tickling the ears of his mates who were sitting around him so that they wouldn't feel it just as uncomfortable. And yet Jesus doesn't let it drop. Like it's like Jesus is just looking back and is thinking, you've not listened to one thing I've said. And so Jesus goes again. And what Jesus then picks up in the next verses as he goes into, he says this. He says, I no longer call you let me come back to this We second. He says, Have I lost this? I have. I'll come back to it in a wee second. What Jesus then goes into, what we say I'll pick up in a little while with us off the back, but he starts to press into another issue about what this should actually be for us and what we need to actually be picking up. Be it how often, this is the question I want to ask us, how often do we take our eyes off our responsibility as disciples? And in this, with particularly this word servants, I want to ask you, how often do we take our eyes off the responsibility of what it is to be a servant of Jesus? When I put that word servant up and when we talk about the word servant, I wonder what you think about it. Even as I reflected in this passage during the week, I know where my mind went to first. And this is sorry, you probably read the verse, what I flicked onto. This is where my mind went to. It's like, but Jesus, did you not say this in John's gospel? I'll no longer call you servants. But I'll call you because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You see, what Jesus was doing in this moment, he was not in any way dismissing the fact that we have a role and responsibility as followers of Jesus. There's something which we need to do in terms of our service for our master that we actually need to still fulfill. But what Jesus was doing, this, he was calling people up to a deeper level. It's almost like, do you ever use those phrases where, You would say about someone, so I mentioned this this morning. I was saying, you know, Phil Phil and I, we we work together. We're colleagues. We lead church. Man, I call him, it's not just that. I call him a friend. (laughs) You know, you ever say that of people? You know, they're such and such, but they're also my friend. It doesn't negate the fact that they are this thing, but it's actually you're saying that there's something deeper about it, the fact that this is about friendship. What Jesus was saying in this moment to us was that this does not have to be born or formed just out of a place if we feel that a responsibility that we have to do something. But actually Jesus is elevating us to the position that actually this is all because it's out of a place of relationship. Because we get to know him and we get to experience his love, there's a desire that we want to do these things. We are servants. We're friends. We're sons and daughters, but again, we're still servants. There's still things that the master requires of us. And part of our role of servants is that we are those to whom the invitation needs to be given. Francis Chan also says this, one last quote from him, and then we'll just bring this in the land. He says, at the end of the day, it's it's about what we produce. We can get so focused in getting people through our doors that we don't think about what goes out. The church's purpose is not just to exist, it's to produce. Are we producing mature Christians who imitate Jesus by constantly serving others? Because one of the things, and this is not at all, by the way, just try and sidestep responsibilities, but one of the things which we can often get as feedback, and it's good, we're open to critique and feedback. That has to be what it's about. But one of the things which people will often say is, You're not preaching the gospel. You need to preach more of the gospel. We need to do this. We need to do this. And I get it. We do need to preach the gospel. There's a savior that needs declared. There's a hope for the nation. We do need to speak about it. And yet the reality is with this is that what we're saying is that when we bring people to that one hour service, we hope that one of you guys on the stage can tell them something about the gospel message that they can hear so that they can come to know Jesus. A few years back in the evening service, we used to do this theme called 166. And the whole pr- principle of 166 was that on the Sunday nights, remember this, Jolly? In the Sunday nights, we, had, um, we were saying we're in church for two hours. There's 168 hours in the week. we were saying, right, well, we're in here for two hours, but how do we use this to actually inspire and equip us actually for what God wants to do in and through us in the rest of the week in the 166? Because of COVID, we're only in here for one hour, so we could change this to 167. And the question we need to ask is, right, well, it's brilliant. Yes, we do need to be able to talk about Jesus. We need to worship him. We need to be able to celebrate his salvation. The fact is, and this has been my pushback, not just to you, but also to me, it's not just about what we do here, but it's about what do we actually do with the 167? How do we actually, as servants of Jesus Christ, yes, we are friends, but as servants of Jesus Christ, how do we use the rest of the week, the 167, to actually talk about people and share the message of the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that need to hear it? And when we say we need to bring people in here and we critique that the message wasn't good enough to be, for people to be able to hear it, I need to ask myself, how am I actually not just speaking boldly on a stage like this right now, but when I'm around people the rest of the week, what do I actually do? What I actually do, because I recognize this, there's a lot of times I just absolutely bottle it. Sometimes I think, well, I can speak like that in here because everyone wants to, like everyone's comfortable with that. Maybe some people aren't, but by and large, most people are. And yet I recognize this: that so often, for many of us, we cannot speak the message about Jesus and the other one, six, seven. And yet Jesus, while He calls us sons and daughters, and we're called friends, today we need to remind ourselves: we are servants of God. We are the ones through whom the invitation of the gospel needs to go, and the invitation of the gospel needs to be shared. It's not, again, being born out of a place of duty, but it's being born out of a place of relationship because of the great lengths that he has gone to, to be able to forgive us of our sins and the fact that we are now dressed in him. We are now those that because of our position and our standing, all that Jesus has done, we now out of that place of friendship want to share and talk about it. We want to boast and brag about Jesus to the world around us. That's the hope of the gospel. This is why Paul would say, how then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As we bring us in the land just for the last couple of minutes. Obviously, a big part of, of what today's is about is highways and byways. It's very little to say, and this is I just want to leave space actually for you to allow the Lord speak, to speak to you personally in this, um, as we do. As, as we, and this is the verse I was trying to look for earlier. So as Jesus says this comment to the guy, and the guy comes out with a really religious thing, you know, well, blessed is the one who will eat at the, in the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. And Jesus comes back and straight away says these words to him. He says, right, okay, but... But when you do have a banquet, invite the poor, the cripples, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaired at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is actually reminding this man, actually, this was the call that was always meant to be upon the children of Israel. We see this even back in the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy. This is the word that was spoken at the end of every three years. Bring all the tithes of the year's produce and store it in the towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied uh, and it's so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This was the call that was always meant to be upon them. And it's this that Jesus speaks into. And so what we see in this idea of highways and byways, this is where Jesus then tries to almost, with the impulse of this, to direct them that this is where it needs to go. Twice it's mentioned, so in Luke Fourteen is what we read about highways, and the master said to the servant, "Go out to the highways and hedges, compel people to come in, so that the house may be filled." In Matthew's gospel, in that parable about the wedding, it says, "So go into the highways and byways and invite everyone you find to the wedding feast." And those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all that they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding was filled with guests. And where I would just love to just leave this today. I feel that in terms of the teaching of Jesus and what he says, I've felt the challenge and rebuke of it myself this week in terms of how I, I share him and how I speak with him outside of this space. I think it's important for all of us to be asking. And as we finish in terms of the highways and byways, just three questions I would love just first to leave just for the spirit to speak into and then we're gonna pray and we're gonna go. And the man, you just gonna enjoy your day <laughs> today and whatever you're doing. But I would love for you just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak right now. When it comes to this idea, so Jesus, obviously he said in the parable, he said, so even when you're throwing a, a, a dinner party, he says, don't invite your friends and families and those sort of things. It's not as if Jesus is saying you don't have any regard for friends or families, but he's saying, listen, don't just do it with the, in the spaces or with the people where it just feels comfortable, right? And so when it comes to this idea of an invitation, this is what I would firstly love you to ask, just for the last three minutes then we're praying. I would love you to just allow the Spirit to speak. There are some people who are part of your family or friends that don't know Jesus. And my question to you is, I would love for you to just wait upon the Spirit and allow the Spirit to bring into your mind and just to speak to you and lead you. Who's even one person, a family or friend this week that he would love for you to share the message of Jesus with? And so I would just love for you to close your eyes. I would love for you to close your eyes right now. Alive and an image or someone's face just to come before you right now. Someone from your family, a close friend who doesn't know Jesus. And then when it comes to this principle of highways and byways, when we think about highways, highways were obviously main roads, Think of busyness, lots of activity. What I would love you to think about just allow the Spirit again to speak into this. In the busyness of life, particularly even around your work situation, your day to day life, in the busyness. Allow the Spirit to bring maybe one more person to your mind right now. Someone who does not know, who does not know the Lord. Work colleague. Someone in that coffee shop you go to. And then this is the final ones. When we talk about highways and byways. When it, we think about byways, on the margins, people that you love to keep at a safe distance at an arm length, people that perhaps could do your head in at times, people because of many of your beliefs you just feel... You'd just rather not go there, whatever it might be. But who's in the periphery or on the outside? Who are the people you naturally even struggle to engage with or connect with? That can so often be that excuse in your mind of why you're not going to that place. Allow the Spirit to even bring not even just a person, it might be a group of people. A space you find difficult, (laughs) might even be a location. When you think of the byways, who are those people in your life? And so as we finish, I don't know about you, but what can so easily happen is my prayer, when I think about people like that is, and it is a really good prayer, by the way. I'm not downplaying this, but it can be, God, would you give me an a, a opportunity this week? Help me to see it. That's okay. But you know what? I think Jesus actually says that there's something better. That rather than being people that just wait, Actually, what these stories tells us is that servants don't wait, servants are sent. And this is why the word that was spoken in each and every one of the stories, the word that's spoken in the Great Commission is simply this, go. Our prayer this week, with even some of the names, some of the people you've been thinking about, is that rather than we are on the back foot suggesting where we wait and see if there might potentially be an opportunity, servants of the master are sent. And the word is go. And so what I would love to do as we finish, would you stand with me? And then this is us done. I would just love to pray. I would love to pray for boldness for myself in this. So, you hold out your hands just one last time, will you? Jesus, thank you for the good news of your gospel. Thank you for the love you have demonstrated to us, that you didn't just wait, but you went. Jesus, you came into this world, you took on flesh, the length that you went to to die on the cross for us. Thank you for the righteousness now that we can have, that our sins can be forgiven and are standing before you. But Jesus, we recognize that while we are sons and daughters and we are your friends, we are your servants. You are our master. We recognize our responsibility. Father, I just pray for... The names, the faces, the places maybe that you're just placing in our minds right now, Holy Spirit. I just pray that this week that we would be filled with boldness. God, I pray that we would just go with a fresh encouragement, God, on our hearts, God, that we would be a people that would go to bring the invitation and to bring the good news. And God, we wouldn't um negate the responsibility to still speak truth with love. God, we don't go to try to wrestle people into your kingdom. But God, I just pray that we would still speak in love. So God, I just pray, would you use us this week? Thank you for the honor, Jesus, that it is to be part of your church. And we just pray as your disciples, use us, fill us a fresh Holy Spirit and help us even in our weaknesses this week, we pray. God, I thank you for each person gathered here this morning. And yet we pray your blessing, God, upon every life, upon every home. For for the men in the room as well, God, we just pray Your blessing upon them as Phils already prayed. Be with us the rest of this day. Lead us forward. Give us ears to hear and help us to be sensitive to those moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's take a.